0: Welcome to the B2B Content Show, a podcast about the how, what, and why of B2B content marketing. I'm Jeremy Shear, and my guest is Tim McLean, Marketing Director at Cameo. Tim, it's great to have you on the show. Yeah, good to be here, Jeremy. Thanks. So tell us a little, a little bit about you and your experience and, and a little bit about Cameo. Sure.
1: Cameo is a cloud voice and SMS platform and set of APIs that folks that run their own platforms, as well as enterprise call centers, contact centers, and providers, anybody who needs voice or messaging comes to Cameo to get that plugged in and turned on. A little bit about my background. Uh, again, I'm Tim McLean. I'm the director of marketing for the company. I've been doing marketing for about 27 years across five different companies, you know, starting with startups, going into sort of the mid, mid-range companies, and then sort of back to you know, a bit of a startup that's breaking out, you know, an 11-year-old startup, I would call us at this point.
0: Before we dive into our main topic, tell us about something useful or interesting or maybe even surprising that you've learned recently in your role.
1: I'll say what I learned recently is that there are some pretty incredible sets of data that have largely been hidden from us over the years that are now available to us. And what I'm talking around around the the fence a little bit here is is about intent data. So this is something where, you know, I've been doing marketing forever and you're always out there like, well, I think that this, you know, ideal customer profile in this industry is really, really good. And let's go after it. You throw some marketing at it, you throw some dollars at it, and you hope that something lands and you get, a, you get an ROI or a ROAS out of it. But today there are actual data sets, you know, from our friends at Bombora and also from folks like G2 that can actually tell us who is actually in the market today. And again, I'm, when I say who, I don't mean a person, but I mean a company. So hopefully we'll get into this as we as we discuss it. But you know I've got access to all that data now as part of my day to day, and it's sort of completely changed the way that I allot dollars and programs and strategies to really help my company find intentful accounts, as I call them, and then find the right people within those companies, and then start putting the right messaging in front of them. So really, that you know, it's only been the last and. It, you know, the tool I'm talking about is called Sixth Sense in particular, but Six Sense hasn't been around that long. So it, that's really been surprising to me is that after all these years, there's finally something that's bringing all these pieces together.
0: Right. And we're going to talk more, more about that in just a moment. And uh, obviously, hugely valuable to, to have some insight into a given account's intent at any given moment. All right. So, so let's get into our topic, which essentially is putting together an effective marketing stack. And I think the the app that you just mentioned is part of that. And I think that's, that's going to come up as we talk about this. But the reason I like this topic is because there are so many options out there these days, right? I mean, for for I'm sure Sixth Sense have has its own group of competitors, right? And for any marketing technology, there's just so much to choose from. I, and I think maybe especially for younger marketers, you know, it can just be confusing. I mean, I know I find it confusing sometimes, like which which platform to go with, you know, and a lot of, and, and it's it can be a considerable investment of of money and just time to figure it all out and implementation and all that stuff. So when you're starting out and t- starting to build your, you know, your market tech stack, how do you get a sense of just w- what you even need? You know, forget about the exact making exact choices, but how do you get a sense of the technology that you even need just starting out?
1: Well, I'd say I want to take one big step back and say, let's put marketing off to the side and say, for a business in 2022, 2023, whatever year you're hearing this in, the, you got to have a foundation to build everything on top of in terms of a technology. And for me, over the years, I've worked with three or four different versions of things, of these base platforms, but there's nothing like Salesforce. So. When I walk into a company, when I'm trying to do marketing and I find out they're using something other than Salesforce, honestly, it's kind of a red flag because you got to have Salesforce as your foundation with you know, your customer sets, your customer types need to be set up. You know uh, The finance team has to be plugged in. You got to make sure, what is the CEO paying attention to? It's going to be data coming out of, of Salesforce. Anyway, it's your general purpose foundation. So I would say, first of all, got to have it, tried to use it without it. And it's been nothing but a struggle. So once you have Salesforce set up and running across your organization, when you start to think about marketing in particular, like what can you plug into Salesforce? Because, you know, the old adage is if you're not in sales, you're in sales support. Okay. So how can I support sales with marketing, right? In terms of a stack on top of Salesforce. So I know that my sales team is going to want to put accounts into Salesforce. They're going to want to assign them to salespeople. Account managers are going to need to see the data of what products they bought, how are they ramping. So we know that's all going to be inside of of Salesforce. So from a marketing perspective, the first thing I would plug into into Salesforce is something like HubSpot. And again, I've used their 17 different versions of HubSpot. And by the way, HubSpot has also diversified their product offering. But how I would describe HubSpot's core capabilities is, a tool for basically creating and sending really good email campaigns. The best workflow creator sh- creation tool, the best way to ingest contacts and have them sync with Salesforce so that we can actually, inside of HubSpot, start to add them to workflows that are related to the solutions and you know, the types of industry that they're in, and then actually see all that data flow back into Salesforce so that salespeople can start to see some intel on what's going on. So HubSpot is is the next big addition to the stack. And by the way, right next to HubSpot, I would recommend that the sales team use something like Outreach, outreach outreach.io. So whereas HubSpot, you think of that as being sort of the prettier, more marketing-focused emails that help to nurture somebody down a funnel or even message them after they become a customer. Outreach is sort of the blunt force tool that allows salespeople to create sequences. Remember I said workflows in HubSpot. You've got sequences in Outreach where they're basically text-driven and they look like emails coming through Gmail or whatever email tool you use. So the sales team will create their sort of two-by-four to the forehead emails to do that initial touch with prospects. And Outreach is a great tool for creating those, those sets of emails, measuring the impact of those. And then by the way, we've also then tied Outreach into HubSpot. So the way to think of it is, again, we've got Salesforce, now we've got outreach and salespeople will send emails at a certain point, they're going to fall out of an outreach sequence, you know, that funnel when they fall out, I've actually tied outreach to HubSpot so that we don't lose any of that momentum or, or allow that, that work to go sort of unrewarded with continuing marketing follow-up. So we move them right out of outreach into HubSpot. And we have a number of sequences that are automatically fired off and eventually They end up in my long drip sequence where they never leave unless they unsubscribe or um, I take them out for whatever reason. So you can see this funnel starting to form, right? With Salesforce at the foundation outreach, the initial stuff, then HubSpot. And then there's sort of this intent data that plays a role in the middle, which we can talk about as well.
0: Let me go back to the beginning of of what you just said. Obviously, there are a lot of competitors to Salesforce, right? I mean, that's probably the biggest, the most well-known. A lot of competitors. So why Salesforce instead of any of its competitors?
1: Well, I think as a a marketing owner that owns a very large marketing stack, I need to make sure that everything can work together and basically work together flawlessly. And the only tool I found that really makes that a reality is Salesforce. So there are other tools that sort of have different levels of interoperability and the data, you know, when I look at something new to add to the stack, it basically has to work with all my other tools, including Salesforce. And there's a lot of other competitors that just don't. So I'm trying to save money, time, and energy. I don't want to hire extra bodies to help me make sure that my data is matching up between tools. I just know with Salesforce at the base that everything is going to work. By the way, a little trick for for those, those marketers who are new to the system too, or, or even some of the more veteran folks, I would say that once you create this stack, you know, a lot of people will spend a lot of time and energy creating reports inside of Salesforce. I've actually found it's even better to take things like my HubSpot data my outreach data, my, my Salesforce data, and we move it into a data warehouse. And then we use Tableau, which by the way, Salesforce bought Tableau, I think two years ago, where we can actually make better visualizations and get better intelligence by using Tableau. Jeremy, we could do a whole separate show just on the magic of Tableau, but that's sort of like, that's like level 300 class at college stuff. But I just want to say that it's not just Salesforce. Like there's other ways to even take your data and do better things with it. So, but that, that's how I would say, like, again, I've worked with all the other big competitors to Salesforce. In fact, I've worked with two systems, two CRMs that were homegrown. I'd lost my hair's going gray. There's a reason why <laughs> you want to avoid that. Is Salesforce expensive? It's not inexpensive. Okay. And you need to support it. But if you're an ongoing concern, if you're a company that's you know, really going to be around more than a couple of years, there's just no better way to start by making sure you're on Salesforce.
0: Now, do you, is that true? Do you think across all sorts of verticals, companies of all sizes, or does it work better for some types of businesses than others?
1: Yeah, I guess I'd struggle to find a business that couldn't benefit from it only because, you know, if you have a set of solutions with a price book associated with that and you have a, you know, sort of even a small sales team, you know, smaller obviously will be mean it'll be less expensive, but you know, the salespeople need to have access to that data. They need access to the price books. They need to be able to write contracts. But then all the other parts of the company from the you know the CFO, you know, to the CTO, to, you know, the CMO, like it, it's just, that is the best, you know, foundational piece that brings all those pieces together in a way that makes sure that you're going to be compatible with all the other tools out there.
0: Now, another big piece of this, right? Whether you're using Salesforce or God forbid something else, right? Is, you know, Im- Implementation. Always important. Things can go sideways if you don't train people the right way, obviously. So what are your insights there? You know, like when you're for the first time, you're saying, all right, folks, we're bringing Salesforce on board. Hooray. You know, what do you what have you learned about how to get people up and running with the with the platform?
1: Well, Jeremy, that is a fantastic question. And I would have answered this question very differently maybe six or seven years ago, but as time has gone on and I've worked with the, with multiple executive teams, I think it all starts with an aligned executive team. So, you know, I worked at a company before the one I'm at now where it seemed like the executives were sort of fighting over what the single source of the truth was or what the data meant. And what I've been blessed with at, 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 you know, at here at Cameo is we have an executive team that's very much aligned around making sure that all the data that they're being presented with through salesforce is properly aligned correct and we can make business decisions around it so it starts with an aligned executive team an aligned team right so you know i'm not, i'm not out there trying to make marketing look as good as possible that's not what i'm here for i'm here to say how are we doing as a business? What are we selling? What are we not selling? What has the highest margin? What, you know, what I mean, all those different questions we've already answered. Now it's how can we use these tools to drive the right customers in the door and then service them and sell them and all those kinds of things. So once you have an aligned team around, okay, these are our products, these are our services, this is what the sales team should be going after. Let's give them that number. Let's give them, you know, where they're going to be firing their bullets. Then I can be directed as the marketing team to give them cover, right? To make sure that, you know, we're, we're giving them air cover that all the data coming back through into Salesforce is showing that I'm bringing in a set number of leads. If you have that alignment and you're all working out of Salesforce as your single source of the truth, I think that's really the key. So it doesn't take a lot of training to get up to speed on Salesforce, but it does take training of the executive team to all be using the same sort of visualizations into the core data for the business to make sure that we're all aligned and working together well. So what I would say is I've had less back and forth than strenuous conversations or difficult conversations with with this executive team because we're all properly aligned.
0: What I'm taking away from what you're saying is that, you know, whatever tool you're using, whether it's Salesforce or, you know, if you are using something else, essentially those tools will, you know, they're, they're valuable because they generate data that really points you in the right direction, right? That gives you key insights. But that alone isn't enough. It has to be the way that you look at the data or what data you look at and how you understand it is really important. And as if, as you said, if the leadership isn't aligned on that, or are focused on different parts, then that can undermine the value of the tool that's giving you all that data. I think,
1: Jeremy, what it comes down to is like we 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 have sort of like a daily data ritual at our company where, you know, first thing in the morning, you know, I'm with with my ABM strategist. His name's Nick. He's a great guy. And he basically says, all right, Tim, I'm going to show you in Six Sense, by the way, which we can, get, we can talk to is sort of the additional layer on top. Sixth Sense already has all of the Salesforce data and has access to it. So we know what current, you know, what current accounts we're either going after from a prospecting perspective or whether they're a current customer or not. But it's also monitoring the rest of the world for any intentful activity by anybody who's entering like certain set of organic keywords into Google. It's sensing that activity. It's looking at Bombora you know, surge topics. So if anybody's going to a website that has content related to voice or messaging in our space, it's looking for that intentful activity. And also we've I've also purchased an additional set of data from G2 where we're looking at the cloud communications page and the SMS MMS page where if any company is looking for either one of those products, G2 is sending me that intent data on a daily basis. And Sixth Sense brings all of that together into a daily report that we clean up to say, all right, overnight, there were 350 new accounts that were looking at our products and services, and this is where they came from. This is what they were doing. And I give that over to a sales contact and we go through that with a fine tooth comb every day. Then we assign them to the salespeople and then they they go off and do the work that they have to do that shows up inside of outreach and then HubSpot and then eventually into Salesforce. So it's really become what we really call it a flywheel because it's just every day. It's like, it's like losing weight or getting control of your finances. You got to be consistent on a daily basis, be very detail oriented. And as days go on and the data, you know, continues to flow, you just make sure that you're doing all the right things. So it's
0: kind of where we're at today. Well, I mean, that's, that's a really compelling portrait of like a tech stack. That's when it's properly fit together and when everybody's aligned on what the purpose of it is, then it can really be super valuable. And at the end of the day, this is all about enabling the sales team to make more sales.
1: That's right. And I think definitely, I I guess I'd be if I didn't say that it's been a bit of a struggle. I think it always is. You know, our sales team is out there selling all day long, you know, adding a new tool between them and their prospects and their customers sometimes can add a little friction to the process. And, and I understand why, I mean, I've had salespeople literally say, Tim, I don't want any marketing to get between me and my sale. And I'm like. You know, Jamie, you're out there. I know you're listening. Maybe I, I, I hear you, but at the same time, I got my job to do, and and so do you. But if you can be, if you can show them, you know, dashboards, for instance, inside of SixSense, you know, whether it's accounts that they've generated on their own and are in their name in Salesforce, or ones that we found that had intent and we've assigned to them on a daily basis, they are getting a, a report that shows hey, in the last 24 hours, are any of my accounts that I care about showing any sort of activity that matters to me, including converting through my marketing? Or are they looking at, you know, they're going to Google and doing searches that look like they may be, you know, are looking for our product or even our account managers who have a book of, you know, several dozen or maybe a hundred companies that they're monitoring. Like we can see whether our current customers are looking for an alternative solution to us and we can get ahead of that. So, like I said at the top of the show, like I've never had access to this kind of data that was this actionable by putting this kind of a stack together until, you know, really this year. I mean, like I said, I think hunts is only two years old and there's a reason why it's it's become one of the darlings of sort of the MarTech world because i'm limited on a daily basis because it not only allows me to, to look for intentful accounts but then i can put advertising on top of it so i can say show a thousand impressions of this campaign to this company starting tomorrow through their dsp you know it's a bunch of html5 banners and it's just like it's amazing to be able to go back to my boss and say all right we delivered this many thousands of impressions this week these are the companies that actually clicked on the ads this is the conversions that we've been seeing like Again, it's, it brings it all together all the way down to the salesperson level as well. So,
0: well, it's an interesting time to be a a, mark, a content marketer to be in B2B marketing.
1: Yes. Very true. Very true. Yeah. But you are right. We should definitely talk about content because that's another revelation, you know, that I've had over the last, you know, four years I've been with Cameo is just really the importance of the, of that content. Cause when I first came on board, there was a website and our COO was basically running marketing at the time but he had created a very base level website. And I would say this, I'd say one of the biggest tips that I'm glad that this happened was the first year I was told I'm not allowed to buy any tools in the first 12 months. The first thing that I needed to do was get my arms around our website. And I think I'd be remiss if I didn't say that you don't just jump in and build the stack. You got to have that good foundation. So you get Salesforce, but then you got to have a good website and you got to do that. You got to do an SEO audit, and you need to add a whole bunch of web pages to your site to make sure that you've got that content. Really, it was so so year one, think about it this way. Like we looked at the website and we did all of our evaluation and found out that, you know, our top five competitors were absolutely destroying us organically. You have to get ahead of the organic searches. And, you know, my last company, I worked directly with folks over at Google. They'll tell you that they change their algorithm every 18 hours. You know, it's hard to stay to stay number one, but I'd say forget about being number one. Just just focus on getting as many of the important long tail keywords as you can. Get yourself into the top three of the organic results. Think about doing some paid down the road, but I wouldn't start that way. But doing that keyword audit, finding out you know what your top fifty to a hundred keywords are to your products and services. You know there are some great tools out there where you can literally say I want to rank for you know this four four word you know keyword set and you can actually write copy in the middle of the screen and it'll tell you how you rank a b or c. And you want to have as many a rated pages against, you know, keywords as possible and you just build them onto your website. So a good example is in 2019 I added like literally 104 pages to at the time think.com and immediately watched I shouldn't say immediately because you and I both know, you know, it takes a while for content to rank. Google's getting faster and faster, but it still takes a good, you know, six to eight months for that content to really get itself into the algorithm and get it properly displayed. So as we entered 2020, guess what? We had a pandemic and my budget was slashed tremendously. Understandably, we all had to retract. But what got us to our goal and beyond in 2020 was having all that work I had done in 2019. Instead of us being crushed, we were crushing our biggest competitors with our content And that was just being thoughtful about creating those pages. So we actually did meet and beat our our sales goals in 2020 and 2021. And it was because we had that foundation. I think you asked me a question. We were preparing for this about, you know, what what would you say? What what does good content have to have? I would say it's all your content has to answer one question, which is what's in it for me. Right. No matter what it is, when you see it, you got, if I'm in the market, I want to know what's in it for me. So I would say that it really needs to tell a story. And how does your product fill a real business need that somebody has, which is why I've been so lucky with the companies I've been able to work with. So, you know, Cameo, we all know whether we like it or not, you know, the, people are still using these things to make phone calls, right? Sort of backward as it sounds to talk about making a phone call. There's a lot of need by a lot of companies to make really good phone calls that sound good, that are, that if a carrier is having an issue, you can ride around an issue and you know, all these different things that my company does really, really well. I love having that. but. So all the content that we create has to say, we know that voice is important. We know your customers and your employees and everybody who interacts with you cares about making really good phone calls. Our product fills a vital business need in a way that helps you save money, helps you sleep better at night, and all those good things. So that's what we make sure that our content says. And by the way, our top performing content has have always been case studies, and. And we found that you know if you work with your account managers and you you find out who your you know your top fifty customers are and who who do we have a great relationship with, if you can insert yourself as a marketer into that conversation between an account manager and and a customer and just be really straightforward that like, hey thank you for every you know thank you for your business. I want to make you look like a rock star. would you mind giving me you know thirty minutes of your time to do what we're doing right now jeremy but if you can insert yourself in that sort of account manager and, and, you know, customer relationship, you can, you can, you can unlock those. So, and I will say this, Jeremy, too, just if it, if it's case study is number one, sort of number two are any tools that you can put on your website. So a great example is we have a tool on our website for, you know, if you currently have a voice provider, you know, how many minutes you're, you're, you're putting out there every month, and you know generally how much you're paying per call. What's your rate? You can literally plug it in and compare it to what it would have been if you had been working with us. So those kinds of hands-on tools, where people can plug in at least a
0: little bit of data to figure
1: out whether you're a good fit for them, can go a long way.
0: That that's a lot of good stuff there. There's so much more we could talk about, but but I do want to ask you a few kind of uh, quick follow-up questions at the at the end here. What's your single biggest challenge when it comes to producing good content?
1: It probably just comes down to resourcing. It took me a long time before I was able to sort of shake loose the budget to hire a content marketing manager. So now I have one. Sherry's been great. So I now have a full-time person who is helping me source those case studies. She's writing, you know, basically we have a pretty simple cadence around here. It's, you know, one blog post a week. It's one piece of long form content, a quarter, which can be a case study. Although I tend to think more like an ebook or something like that or a white paper. And then it's also one webinar a month that's topical as well. So having a full time person be able to put that content matrix together, and then match it against our ideal customer profiles, and then work with me in terms of updating outreach and HubSpot, like you can see the tendrils, you know, sort of the atomization of that content, you know, becomes sort of a daily activity that's good to have a full time person, but it always comes down to resources, because we could be writing 10 times more content if I had more people, but we just got to keep it focused on the
0: things we know, move the needle. If you had 10 more Sherry's, then you'd have 10 times more content, right? Okay. Well, actually the next question I, I wanted to ask was strong and effective content must be, and then fill in the blank. I kind of feel like we sort of, like you kind of already answered that question, with it needs to be, you know, aligned with the needs and interests of your audience primarily.
1: Answering that question, what's in it for me every single time, as soon as I see a piece of content, I, I want to know it's obviously, especially if it's product related, but I'd say otherwise, I'd say if I had to sort of stack rank, you know, like case studies are good, tools are good, but sort of the, in terms of basic content, like we also find we get a lot of traction with just being able to comment on industry trends. So if you've been tuned in at all to sort of phone calls or texting, you already know that this darn thing is blowing up all day with phone calls you don't want and text messages you don't want, right? So one of the things we've been doing is get our getting our audience together to talk about The SEC passed some new rules to combat illegal robocalls maybe four years ago now called Stir Shaken. Well, we had to implement that as a protocol. And now when you pick up your phone and it says spam likely, that's a result of some of that work. So talking to our prospects and our current customers about Stir Shaken on the voice side is, you know, is gets us a lot of eyeballs and a lot of activity. On the messaging side, we also get a lot of text messages on these things we don't want. So now there's a whole new system called the campaign registry where all of our customers have to register all of their text messaging traffic. Like, who are you sending text messages for? They have to prove who they are, you know, who who do you have a business relationship with? And then here are the campaigns that I want to send along with the messaging examples. This industry has completely changed in the last uh, two years on the voice and messaging side. So being able to comment and have a voice to our audience about what we think about those things, not only telling them that they're coming and how we can help them conform to them, but just letting them know that we're aware because they're thinking about it. They're like, oh my gosh, like I'm, you know, whichever voice provider I have, do they know about this through shaken thing? Are my calls being blocked? Am I being labeled as spam likely? That's the number one topic that our customers are asking themselves today. And we we have to fill that need. So paying attention to and having a voice to industry trends, having your own point of view is, is key. And ideally, if you're lucky enough, you have somebody like me or anybody in this role who can put their face in front of a camera like this and and sort of, you know, talk openly about these topics. Like it doesn't have to be super professional. You just need to have the basics and be consistent
0: and people will respect that voice and be attracted to you. 100%. 100%. Well, Tim, thanks for all that and learned, learned a lot. So thank you so much for your time. Really appreciate it. Not a problem at all. Thank you, Jeremy. That's it for this episode of the B2B Content Show. You can subscribe anywhere you get podcasts on any podcast app. And while you're at it, you might as well give the show five stars and leave an over-the-top comment about how much you love the podcast. If you'd like to be a guest on the show or you know someone who you think would be a great guest, let us know. You can contact me at Jeremy at conversa.com. That's C-O-N-N-Versa.com. The B2B content show is brought to you by Conversa Podcasting.